Today we're going to start a journey together. I have no idea how long it'll take, and quite frankly don't care, through the Gospel of John. It'll take quite a while. Weeks, months, years, I don't know. This is a first for me. I can say that I've never preached specifically through one of the Gospels from beginning to end. It's not a series. It's just a channel that I will stay in, the Gospel of John, until I finish it. So I just read and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what he wants to reveal, and we'll see how long that takes to go through that. This will be foundational to our faith. This is life-changing for all of us. Why would I say that, specifically, that it's life-changing for all of us? Because the Word of God has the power to change anything and anyone it comes in contact with. But the question is, if you decided, Terry, to go through the Gospel, one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, why John? John's perspective on the life of Christ is totally different than the other three. If you sent four different newspaper reporters to cover the 9-11 events in New York back in 2001, would you expect all four of their reports to be the same? No. Each one of them would have a unique perspective, and thus it's the same with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The way you view things changes the way you report things. John was one of the inner circle of Jesus. Peter, James, and John. These three were allowed to see things and hear things that the other nine were not allowed to see and hear. That gives John a very unique perspective. For example, Jesus would only let these three go in with him when he raised the local synagogue ruler, Jairus' daughter, from the dead. Only three of them were allowed to go in with him. John was one of those three. Jesus only took three with him to the transfiguration. John was one of those three. And these three were the only ones with him in the Garden of Gethsemane when he wept that night, sweat like drops of blood. And John is the only one of these three, Peter, James, and John, John is the only one of these three that wrote what we call the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So that's why I picked John. Not that any of the others are less important. Please don't read into that. Matthew, Mark, or Luke, I consider them no less powerful or no less the Word of God. But if I had to pick one, I decided to pick John. John is the same person that wrote the first, second, and third John. John is also the same person that wrote what we call the Revelation. It looks like John outlives all the other original disciples of Jesus and even though church history, it's not recorded in the Bible, church history reveals that they tried to kill John several times but failed. And he ended up marooned on an island called Patmos because of his faith. In fact, <clears throat> the beginning of the Gospel of John 
The beginning of the Gospel of John is so absolutely different from the beginning of the other Gospels. Let me give you an example. Matthew starts with the genealogy from Abraham to Jesus, and then he gives the birth of Christ. Mark starts with John the Baptist, and then he jumps immediately to the baptism of Jesus 30 years later, leaving out the birth of Christ. Luke starts with John the Baptist and then gives us the greatest detail of any of the Gospels about the birth of Jesus. But John, where does the Gospel of John begin? Where does he start? In the beginning. It's a very unique perspective. Let me read to you the first two verses of the Gospel of John as we begin our journey together. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. He existed in the beginning with God. I guess you could say that the Gospel of John is to the New Testament what Genesis is to the Old Testament. They both begin with the same three words in the beginning. I want you to compare these first two verses from Genesis and then John as we begin this journey. So let's go back to Genesis. It's interesting to me that Genesis and John begin specifically in the beginning. What beginning? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Genesis reveals that in the beginning there was God. And God was doing something. In the beginning, in the beginning of all creation, there was God already there. And He was doing something. He is creating Something from nothing. Nobody else can do that. He is creating something from nothing. And God was creating the heavens and the earth. Now, if you go to the Gospel of John, John reveals that in the beginning there was the Word. In the beginning there was the Word. How did God create in Genesis 1? Did he bring in earth movers to make planets and bring in dirt from other galaxies? How did he do it? By his word. He speaks. In the beginning, there was the word. The word. John reveals that in the beginning there was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. But it doesn't stop there. In fact, he's just getting started. The word is a person. He's referred to as a he. The word is referred to as a he. And that person called the word was there before. Listen carefully, church. The word, who is a person, was there before the beginning of creation. Before our first day on earth. And this is really big. Are you ready? Because I hope you are. Here it comes. In the second verse of Genesis, it says that the earth was formless dark and empty, but the Spirit of God was hovering 
over the waters. Even in the second verse of Genesis, you can see not only God the Father, but did you get introduced to the second part? In the second verse of Genesis, you see not only God the Father, but you see the Spirit of God hovering over the surface of the deep, the surface of the waters. God the Father and God the Spirit. God has revealed the Spirit even in verse 2 of Genesis 1. Then what? Light. Understand that the sun and the moon and the stars will not be created by God until day 4. But in day 1, light comes. Where did the light come from? But this light is there in day 1. Yes, the light is there before day 1. Listen, listen. The light You'll never understand the Gospel of John until you get this. The light was there before day one. Now I'm going to repeat first five verses of Genesis 1. Here we go. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the first day. Now, if I read that to you, and some of you are paying attention, you would say, Terry, how do you know that light was there before day one? John told me. In the first five verses of John, he announces what was there before the beginning of Genesis. John 1. Let me read the first five verses. I just read to you the first five verses of Genesis. Now the first five verses of John. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him. And nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created. And His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness. The light brought life. The light brought life to who? Everyone. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness can never put out the light. It can never extinguish this light. So who is the light? Who is the Word? Who is the He in John chapter 1? Who is it? The Word is the light. The light is the Word. And the Word and the light, listen, are a person. He is a He. He is not an it. He is a he. The word is the light, and the light is a word, and the word and the light are a person. The word and the light are creating everything that is anything in Genesis, but it won't be until John until you know his name. In Genesis 1, you see God is doing what God is doing. He creates the heavens and the earth and light, and life bursts forth. But you won't know who he is until John, because John will tell you who he is The Word is life, the Word is light, light and life have come to the earth, 
in the form, listen, in the form of a man. The light that created the life will come to the earth in which it created in the form of a man. Or you could call him the Word. Or you could call him the Light. Or you could call him the Creator. Or you could call him the Way. Or you could call him the Truth. Or you could call him the Life. Or you could call him God with us. Or you could call him Jesus. Say it out loud. Jesus. Say it out loud. That's his name. What a wonderful name it is. The Word has a name. The Light has a name. The Creator has a name. His name is Jesus. In the Hebrew, he's referred to as Yahshua. In the Greek, we call him Jesus. Now, let me read verse 4 and verse 5 again from John chapter 1. The Word... The Word is a person. The Word gave life to everything that was created. And His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. The Word named Jesus. The Word named Jesus gave life to everything in Genesis in the beginning. But you didn't know His name. When you read Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges and Ruth, when you read that, you could see that life was coming from the Creator, but you didn't know His name, not this name. The Word named Jesus gave light to this dark world in the beginning. The light of God began to shine in the beginning. And I can tell you that that same light of God shines today. Darkness will never be able to put this light out. In fact, the opposite will occur. Whenever this light shows up, darkness will have to leave. I stop right now and ask a question. Are you as amazed as I am at the correlation between the first five verses of Genesis and the first five verses of the Gospel of John? The gap between Genesis and John is 4,000 years. Listen carefully. I am astounded at the power of the Word of God. There's 4,000 years between Genesis 1 and John 1. How could John write and know such things? And how could these things match so perfectly? You're about to find out. That is, if you believe that the Word is a person, and the person of Christ is the Word. And we're reading that Word, that person, right now. The fact is this. And until you understand what I'm about to say, you will never receive the power of the Word. Everything in the Old Testament, every word has been waiting for and revealing what John is writing in what we call the Gospel of John. Everything in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers is revealing what John is announcing in the Gospel of John. All the events of the Old Testament are revealing him. But it wasn't until the New Testament, not until the angel Gabriel comes to a virgin Mary. And he comes and he announces that the Word, the Light, the Life, the Creator, he has a name. 
And Mary, Joseph, you don't get to pick his name. His name was decided before the foundations of the earth. But it will now be revealed. His name will be Jesus. What a wonderful name it is. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the word made flesh. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is life. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is God with us. And that's only five verses. Can your mind grasp all of this? I admit that I struggle with the endless nature and the power of this word. I admit that I struggle with the endless nature and the power of his name. My mind, my mind cannot fathom that he has always been, he always is, and he always will be. It is bigger than my brain can measure. But by faith, I believe every word. So as we begin the journey together today through the Gospel of John, I'm going to ask you to do something. Listen carefully. I make a specific request to the church. I ask you to believe. I don't ask you to believe in nothing. I ask you to believe in something specific. The Word. As I go through the Word, the Word has a name. The Word is life. The Word is light. The Word is the Creator. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And everything that has been made was made by Him, for Him, and through Him for the glory of His name. And I'm asking you, church, to believe the Word. Believe what? Let me start by asking you to truly believe the first verse of the Old Testament and the first verse of the New Testament. Everybody's got to start to believe something somewhere. So let's make it real simple today. I'm going to give you this assignment. I ask you to truly believe the first verse of Genesis and truly believe the first verse of the Gospel of John. Just one. But I've come to a conclusion. When you get down those two first verses, you will be a long way toward believing in the name of Jesus Let me prove it to you. Here comes the first verse in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Wrap your mind around that one. It didn't happen by chance, random processes, or some kind of a a pool of ooze that slithered out a slimy something that stood up one day and said, Hi, Mom, I'm home. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I ask you to believe the word. Number two, what's the first verse from John? In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. If you truly believe and know the beginning... If you can accept the first verse of John and the first verse of Genesis, if you truly know and believe those two verses, I can propose to you today that you will know and understand the end when you know and understand the beginning. But I flip it over. You will never know what's coming until you understand what has been. 
I believe that if you can truly put your faith in the power of two verses, we can move on to the rest and be amazed together. All right, if you're ready now, I want to introduce John, who's going to introduce John. John the Baptist is going to be introduced by John the Apostle. In the next verse, John is introducing the man that's going to introduce the man. Verse 6. God sent a man. God did it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the what? To tell about the light. I told you he had a name. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell the world about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The message of John the Baptist was going to be hard to believe. I get it. I get it. I really do. I picture the assignment that God gives this one man. I want you to go tell Israel that he's coming. Who's coming? The light's coming. The word's coming. The I am's coming. How would you like that job? The light that made the world in Genesis was coming down to the world that he created. John the Baptist testified that he himself was not the light. Though many thought he might be the light, he might be the Messiah, the promised one of God. No, John was born to testify about the coming light of the world. And listen, that light of the world was bringing with it life. Light brings life. Do you think darkness brings life? No. Light brings life. He's coming. In fact, if you really studied John the Baptist's calling, I kind of break it down in two parts. The first of his calling is, he's coming. He's coming. John the Baptist had a six-month head start on Jesus so that he could say, he's coming. Get ready, he's coming. That was the reason for John's miraculous birth from elderly parents. Get ready. Israel, he's coming. That was the reason for his lifestyle, his clothes, his diet, his baptism. What? What? Get ready. He's coming. Who's coming? Light's coming. And he's bringing life. Some of the people loved John the Baptist and some hated him. But the deal is everybody heard him. He said it loud and he said it often. What? Get ready. He's coming. Some people came out to John the Baptist, they heard him and they believed him and he baptized them. The baptism of repentance. But some despised him for his loud words. Some came out and they believed him. Words came out of his mouth and they heard the words and they believed the words and they were baptized. But some came out and heard the same words from the same man and they rejected the words and the man who gave them the words. And they hated him. What were the words? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Do you like those words? 
I'm going to ask you a question. Do you like those words? If some guy with locust breath comes up to you this afternoon and looks you in the eye and says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, will you say, well, thank you very much. That preaching got him killed. That sermon got him killed. What sermon? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. John demanded repentance from the king named Herod. You know the story. I hope you know the story. John demanded repentance. A turning away from sin. That's what repentance is. John demanded repentance from King Herod. Why? Because God had revealed that repentance was the only way to have life. What's the most loving thing John can tell King Herod? That repentance gives life. And the light told me to tell you to repent so you'd have life. So the most loving thing John will ever tell King Herod is repent because repentance gives life because the light told John to say it. King Herod had taken his brother's wife for his own and John knew that that was called sin. Repentance brings forgiveness of sin. So John the Baptist told the king to repent of this sexual sin. And the king and his mistress didn't like that word. In fact, I want to tell you, I've met a whole lot of people today that don't like that word. Repent. Who are you to tell me to repent? I can imagine them looking at John the Baptist, the king looking at John the Baptist saying, Who do you think you are? Repent. That word... It's not very popular. It wasn't popular in the time of John. It's not popular today. Repent. It seems so intolerant. It seems so narrow-minded. It seems so insensitive and judgmental. Who do you think you are? So they killed John the Baptist. They cut off his head and threw a party. But not until he had said all that needed to be said. Not until he had done all that needed to be done. Get ready. He's coming. No, 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 that wasn't it, was it? Get ready. He's coming. He's here. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You see, John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the Jordan River and the crowds at his preaching service started to drop off significantly after that. John the Baptist was drawing great crowds to the wilderness to the wilderness that means they had to go through a pretty long tough journey to go hear him preach and and he baptizes jesus in the jordan river and suddenly something started to happen the crowds that were following john began to follow jesus and the multitudes that john was baptizing was now they were being baptized by the disciples of jesus in fact, John's disciples, his followers, began to worry about the attendance at their meetings. John, will we be able to keep this ministry alive? John 3, 26. So John, the Baptist, John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man, Jesus, you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. We'll call him Jesus the Baptist. 
The one you met on that, the one you said was the Messiah, he's also baptizing people. And everyone is going to him instead of coming to us. Can you see it? They're worried. Attendance is down. This isn't looking good, John. Verse 27, John replied, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you. I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. I'm only here to say he's coming, he's here. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. I don't know if John's disciples were hoping he would be frustrated and make a new plan to increase attendance, but instead what they got was, I am excited at his success. I get it. This is why I'm here. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the light that brings life to the world. I'm only here to bear witness to the light. And I am filled with joy at his increase of attendance. And then he says something. Verse 30. I have often wondered if there is a more powerful verse in the New Testament that describes the need for the modern church. Here it comes. He must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. John realized who he was, and John realized who he wasn't. And John says, it's not about me, it's about him. He must become greater and greater. I must take on the role of less and less. John the Baptist had done all that he needed to do, and ultimately he knew that his purpose was to make Jesus famous. His purpose in life was to be the forerunner of Christ, the announcer of the deliverer, the announcer. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He's here. It's not about me. It's about him. John knew that his job was to make Jesus famous. Do you know, let me pause in the story of John. Come to the modern church, 2017. Do you know your assignment from God as a follower of Jesus is to make him famous? To make his name famous. What name? Jesus. Say it out loud. Jesus. Say it out loud. You're supposed to make that name famous. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. It's not to make me famous. It's not to make you famous. John said it's not to make John famous. It's to make Jesus famous. Verse 30. He must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. One verse from the Apostle John in the Gospel of John about John the Baptist. That's a lot of Johns. Those two Johns, the Apostle and the Baptist, knew who Jesus was. And I'm going to ask you a question. One thing's clear. Those two Johns, John the Apostle, John the Baptist, knew who Jesus was. Do you? John the Baptist knew who Jesus was. So he didn't fear King Herod or his crazy girlfriend. 
You know why? Because he knew who Jesus was. Would it be a good idea to call out the king and his live-in girlfriend in public? Because that's what John did. Is that a good idea? Is that, a, is that a good tactic to call out the king and call out his live-in girlfriend in public? Well, that would demoralize them, wouldn't it? That would that'd get you in trouble. That sermon could get you killed. You see, John the Baptist knew who Jesus was, and John the Baptist knew who he was. And John the Baptist was born of a supernatural birth. He had the Holy Spirit even, even before he was born. And John the Baptist knew who Jesus was, and he knew the message of Jesus. Do you? Because I'm going to tell you the message of Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. But you say, well, you know, some people aren't going to like that. Do you know who Jesus is? John knew who Jesus was. And he told the king, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Why? The most loving thing he would ever tell that king is the truth. But the king won't like it. If you say it today, some religious folks won't like it. Some not religious folks won't like it. In fact, it's my experience that I've met very few people that like it. What? Repent. When's the last time you enjoyed somebody telling you you were wrong? That message seems very intolerant, insensitive, narrow-minded, and bigoted. But John knew who Jesus was, and John knew that his purpose in life wasn't to increase himself, but to increase the message of Christ. Listen, how are you going to increase the message of Christ? By proclaiming the words of Christ. You see, Christ revealed the words to John, and John simply told them to the king. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's going to be my summary of this first session from the Gospel of John. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And I want to do something to see how you're doing on this. We're going to do a four-question quiz today. I won't call it a test, because some of you will probably leave like you want the restroom or something. So we'll call it a pop quiz. You don't have to write it down. But I'm going to ask you four questions regarding what we've covered so far from the Gospel of John. Question number one. I know who Jesus is. That's not a question. That's my proclamation of truth. I know who Jesus is. Do you? So please answer to yourself the question. I know who Jesus is. Do you? Number two. I know what happened in the beginning. Do you? Question number three, I not only know what happened in the beginning, I also know what's going to happen in the end. Do you? Question number four, I know the reason I'm alive and breathing air in this room today. Do you? I know the reason I'm here. I know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Do you? And I can sum up the answer to all four of those questions in one verse, verse 30. Here it is. He must become greater and greater and greater and greater. And I, what? Say it out loud. I must become less and less. Is that natural? If you just let go and let the wind blow you, is this what happens to you? Is this your life? Just let the world 
blow your sails? This is what you produce? No, this is the opposite of what you produce. John the Baptist's message to the people of his day and to the king and his girlfriend is the message of the church today. Did you know that? It's the same message. We call it the gospel. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say. The message of John the Baptist that he gave to the king and his live-in girlfriend is the same message the church has today. There's not a new message. It's the same message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. We call it the gospel. The word gospel means good news. And John the Baptist and the church of Jesus, we all have something in common. It's called good news. Do you know what the good news is? Listen, I wonder if I ask the average church person, do you understand what the good news is described in the good news? What is the good news? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Why is that good news? Because until Jesus came, you couldn't do it. Until Jesus came, the repent is a turning away from sin and turning toward God. Until Jesus came, until the Holy Spirit comes, you couldn't. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand means it's good news. You can do it. You can reach it. You can take access to this light that brings life. That's good news, right? If you believe it. But what if you don't believe it? It's not good news anymore. In fact, if you believe it, it's good news because now I can turn from my sin, turn from my darkness. I can take hold of the light. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's within my grasp, within my reach. But unless you believe it, you know what that comes up as? That's hate speech. Repent. Who do you think you are? The good news becomes bad news. What's the difference between good news and bad news? You don't believe the good news is true. So I want to do something. Is the message of the modern church the same message of John the Baptist? Well, let's ask the Word. In Matthew chapter 3, what specifically was the message of John the Baptist? I want to make sure you don't think I'm making it up. So let's leave John for a moment and go to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and he began preaching. What's his sermon? Here it is. Repent of your sins, turn to God, the kingdom of heaven is near. Some people liked him. Some people repented, turned to God. Some people hated him. So what about Jesus? Where did he get that sermon? Where did John the Baptist get that sermon? Who told him to have authority to go into the wilderness and say, repent of your sins, turn to God, the kingdom of heaven is near? Who told him? I can tell you, he copied it from this guy, Matthew 4, 17. The origin of the sermon. From then on, Jesus began to preach. What's his sermon? <gasps> it's the same sermon. Repent of your sins, turn to God, the kingdom of heaven is near. They're using the same sermon. So what about the church age? Okay, okay, preacher, you told me John said it, you told me Jesus got it. Gave it to John. What about the church age? What's that got to do with us today? Well, I'm going to tell you, in Acts chapter 2, it describes the birth of the church. The Holy Spirit falls. The Spirit comes inside of people. And they begin doing what they didn't know how to do the day before. Peter stands up and says something. I don't think he wrote this sermon. 
I think he got it from Jesus. Acts 2.38, Peter replied, Each of you, this is the birth of the church, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to show that you have received forgiveness for your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued to preach for a long time, strongly urging all the listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 people. 3,000 people heard the word repent and said, that's good news. I don't know how many heard that word and said, that's ugly. That's mean. Do you know what all three of these scriptures have in common? John the Baptist, Jesus, and Peter. Repent. So I'm going to ask you a real personal question. Here it comes. Do you think right now the word repentance is good news? Repentance brings forgiveness. And I'm going to tell you something. Here, here, I'm going to give you the truth. I'm going to love you enough to tell you the truth. Repentance brings forgiveness and you can do it. You can have your sins, though they are as scarlet, made white as snow. All you got to do is repent. Tell God and allow His power in you to turn around. Repentance is an acknowledgement that you have had your back to the one who is called light. And you decided to turn around and face Him and allow the light of His glory to penetrate your darkness. It's called repentance. Is that good news? The truth is this, you will never reach out and take hold of this good news that God forgives sins until you're willing to deal with the issue of repentance. And you know what the issue of repentance is? I'm going to melt it all together and then I'm going to close. Listen. You know what the issue of repentance is? Verse 30. Put verse 30 back up here. He must become greater. You know why people don't want to repent? Because you want to be greater. You don't want him to be greater. You want you to be greater. And you don't want him who is greater to tell you that you're less. So you don't want to repent. And if you die in your sins, you are lost forever. But there's good news. You don't have to die in your sins. But you've got to understand that that means he must become greater and greater. And I must become less and less. And when I understand that I am less and less, then repentance is no longer a struggle for me because I understand he's great and I'm not. And he's light and I'm darkness and he's life. And I, unless something changes, I'm going to experience death. John and John knew who Jesus was. Do you? John the Baptist, John the Apostle, they knew who Jesus was. I'm going to ask you again. Do you know who he is? Really know who he is. So here's the question. I'm going to read again the first five verses of the Gospel of John. And I'm going to ask you as I read them, do you know who he is? 
Because I've come to this conclusion. When you know who he is, and you identify the reality of his person, bowing down to him will never be an issue in your life again. Repentance will never be an issue in your life again. Because here's who he is. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. And the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. The Apostle John explains in great detail who Jesus was and who Jesus is in the beginning and before the beginning. And I'm going to ask you again, do you know who Jesus is? You won't be able to say you didn't know because he just told you who he is. You can reject that. And when you do, I'm going to ask you, what are you left with? Nothing. I'm convinced of this. You will never have trouble following Jesus when you truly find out who he is. I close today with four verses from that other book that John wrote called The Revelation. And as I read it to you, I'm going to ask you, do you really know who he is? Because Revelation reveals who he was, who he is, and who he's going to be. This is not just about who he was, who he is, but he holds in his hands your life. Your future. He holds it in his hands. Revelation twenty two twelve. Jesus says, Look, I am coming soon. Bringing my reward with me. Do you believe him? Eh, just talk. I'm coming soon. Bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first letter in the alphabet and the last letter in the alphabet. I am the Alpha, the Omega. I am the first. I am Genesis, and I am Revelation. I am everything in between. I am before Genesis, and I am after Revelation. I am everything. He says, I am the beginning. I am the end. I am. If you know who he is, do you know who he is? He's coming. John the Baptist said he was coming. The word, he says, I'm coming soon. You know, the word soon also implies the word suddenly. Like a thief in the night. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye. When least expected. Bringing a reward with him. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is your beginning. He is, he will be your end. One way or the other, he will be your end. L listen carefully. He will be the beginning of your beginning or the beginning of your end. But he'll be there. He will be the beginning of your beginning, ushered into an eternal kingdom of his. That's the beginning of the beginning. Or he will be the beginning of your end, separating the sheep from the goats. Those who have repented of their sins and found forgiveness through the blood of Christ and those who have rejected that same blood. Revelation twenty two sixteen. 
I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for who? Who's the message for? The churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am before David. I am after David. And then he says something. If that wasn't enough to make your mind go, wow, here it is. I am the bright morning star. He is the light of the world. And if you reject this light, you will only have darkness forever. And in the message, he doesn't just stop there, does he? He says this, the Spirit and the bride say, come. The Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. The bride is the bride of Christ, the church. And what is their message? Come. Come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires to drink freely from this water of life, come. Come, get a drink. Did you hear about the water of life? If I told you there was a fountain somewhere that if you drink that water, you would have eternal life, you'd find a way to get to that fountain. And the only way you would not find a way to get to that fountain is that you didn't believe that the water gave life. Hell will be filled with unbelievers that Jesus is the living water of life. Do you know him? Do you think repentance is good news? Or hate speech? Did you get a drink of the water? Do you want a drink of the water? We, we did this invitation in the first service today. Two people came up and were baptized this morning. Suddenly, because of the Holy Spirit, their eyes were opened to see who Jesus is. Do you know who he is? I'll ask Corey to come out for the invitation. To me, it was always amazing that even though the Old Testament reveals everything about him before he is ever born of a virgin, Mary and Joseph didn't get to pick his name. All that they went through, let me tell you, that's a tough job. Can you imagine Mary's job having to go tell the neighbors, yeah, I'm pregnant and God did it. But you don't get to choose his name. Why? 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 Because it is the name of above every name. There is no other name under heaven whereby men can be saved. It is the name of the only begotten Son of God. And by this name there is life. God chose it because He's God's Son. And today, it is a wonderful name. And that name invites you to come. Anybody thirsty? Come get a drink of living water. Repent of your sins. Acknowledge that He must increase and we must decrease. And when that occurs, life is yours in Jesus Christ. We stand the invitations open.